Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. All right, Ryan Rice, welcome to the Asking Why podcast, man. Glad to have you awesome. on here. Yeah, so, glad to be uh, glad to be with you and uh, glad for technology uh, that allows us to do this kind of stuff. Absolutely. So you're in Algiers? Yeah, so in Algiers, uh, a uh, community uh, in uh, New Orleans. And so we're about 10 minutes from downtown. Uh, it's about... Uh, 47,000 people that live in our community. And uh, so we're one of the oldest neighborhoods in the city of New Orleans. Wow. Yeah. So me and you met, um, I was trying to think on the way here to work. Like, I know we did the work um, for the hurricane stuff. Did we meet before yeah. that? No, I think that might have been. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you came down uh, when a group from your church came down to serve with our church, but I, I think that's the first time we actually really met. Yeah. Was, uh, so the hurricane cleanup. Yeah, that was wild. What, what which hurricane was that? Do you remember? You know what? I, it wasn't actually. Was it a hurricane? I think it was the flooding that. Happened. Oh no, it was. Yeah, you're right. It was yeah, a flood. It was a flooding. Yeah. Yep. It's a flooding. We yeah. gutted some houses, and that was a lot. That was yeah, it's a lot of a lot of hard and uh, fun. I guess if you describe fun as uh, you know getting dirty and for sure. <laughs> you know, hey, well, man, we say, you know, being able to go down there, we save those people so much money just being able to oh, do yeah. some of that construction and some of that work. Yeah. And definitely. So, yeah, I mean, I remember connecting with you then and just being like, man, I really like this guy. And then, yeah. so you are a, get this right. You're, you're a plant of Broadmoor or what, what, what's the connection to Broadmoor? Yeah. So, um, so our family, uh, moved back home to New Orleans. This is where I'm from, uh, in 2014 to, uh, plant a church here. Uh, and so being a part of the convention, uh, especially the, uh, the, the sin network and the church planning arm of the Southern Baptist, um, one of the good things was, uh, finding churches that would come alongside and partner with you. Right. And so yeah. Broadmoor, it just so happened just in, in God's grace and his mercy and kindness to us. Uh, they were looking for a church to partner with and, uh, just, uh, one connection to another, uh, we got connected with uh, a person there, and then the rest is really history. So, yeah, yeah so we, we've just been really blessed to have a good partnership with uh, Broadmoor over the years, and then coming down, doing missions uh, trips with us, and uh, became really good friends with a lot of people there as yeah. well. Absolutely. Yeah, so one of, the, one of the goals for today, for those listening uh, that Ryan and I talked about, was just having some conversation about Christianity in a way that that shed some light on maybe what are the what are the facts versus what are the emotional assumptions or the the barriers. I mean, so many times, Ryan, I think, and, and you would probably agree, as a therapist, I'll have somebody in my office and we're working through, um, maybe they're a Christian, maybe they're not, but we're working through meaning and belief systems and trying to get to the root of their trauma. And, and for me, their beliefs shape their thoughts and feelings, which shape their actions. So yeah. we can't just look at behavior modification. We have to kind of go down to where they believe. And 
except for a lot of Christians especially, are people who are nominally Christian. They, they've been to church their whole life or they go on Sundays, but it, you know it's not really a day-to-day faith um, that they walk out because they don't know that that's even supposed to be a thing. And so yeah. they'll say to me, well, I don't like Christianity because of this, or I don't like Christianity because of that. Um, and generally I'm like, well, me either, because that's not actually Christianity. Right. <laughs> and so then right, we get into right. the theology. So I wanted to just, you know, talk to you about that today. And for those listening, like that's kind of the goal of the podcast is to have Ryan as a pastor um, in the Southern Baptist world and as an African-American pastor, um, just kind of give us some insight and some wisdom into what are the truths and, and maybe why are some things, uh, that be, what are some things that people wrestle with? So first, tell me a little bit about kind of who you are, what you do, um, and tell the listeners, you know, how that came about. So you, kind of your story. Yeah. So um, again, Ryan Rice, uh, native of New Orleans, uh, a lifelong Saints fan, uh, nice. even when they were bad. <laughs> right. Uh, so a husband of one wife, you know, my wife, Shanae, we've been married 16 years, uh, four kids uh, and uh, a church planner. So um, I, I don't know at what point do you stop calling yourself a church planner? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. But, you know, hey, it, it works, you know, kind of thing. So uh, we started a new church in uh, the city of New Orleans, and it's been going for about uh, seven and a half years. Uh, and a unique thing about our church plan is that um, about four years ago, we merged in with a church that was completely dying. Uh, the average age was about uh, over 55. Um, nobody really looked like me at, at all. Uh, and so we took those folks in and uh, really- Like a bunch of old white people. Yeah, it was pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and so we became uh, one, uh, one new church by the grace of God. And uh, we've been going uh, ever since then. Uh, and God has really blessed us. I mean, we have, um, and this is something that we didn't necessarily, um, it wasn't something that we were just striving for per se. Yeah. It was just more or less like, hey, whoever comes and whoever we can reach, we're going to reach with the gospel. And so, uh, you know, it's God's grace to have it. We're just a multi-ethnic, multi-generational uh, church in the city of New Orleans uh, with the mission to glorify God, make disciples and serve the city. And so, yeah, that's uh, kind of, I'm also a track coach as well. Uh, so I do that on the side uh, with my old high school that's across the street from my church. Nice. What, uh, what so, high school yeah. is that? So this is uh, Edna Carr uh, High School. Okay. And so I serve as the assistant boys uh, track track coach. Cool. And, uh, it's been fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really fun. Did you do track in high school? And- yeah. So track and field was my only thing that I did. Well, it wasn't the only thing I did, but it's yeah. sports wise, that's, For I sure. tried football, but that didn't work out. Um, and, um, <laughs> one of the cool things was, uh, growing up, I wanted to be an Olympian. That's all I wanted to do. Oh, wow. Um, and the Lord had other plans in store for me. Yeah. Olympian. Huh? Yeah. That's what I wanted to do. I want to be an Olympian. Like track and uh, field. Yeah. And then I didn't go there. Yeah, track and field. Yeah, so I want to, I wanted that. Yeah, I, I mean, I lived and breathed track and field, yeah. so that's like all I wanted to do. What'd you run? Um, but uh, so I did actually the long jump, the uh, four hundred, and then the triple jump as oh, well. Nice. So I was more of like, yeah, both of those. And so it's been fun coaching kids, like in something that I used to love to do. Yeah, and seeing them kind of start to flourish and do all that good stuff. So it's been a been a huge blessing. 
Yeah, man, I hated track. <laughs> we, we had to do, <laughs> yeah. you know, I played basketball and, and uh, I went uh, to like an okay. all white southern community, um, literally all white. We had like one yeah. African American uh, coach and he coached uh, our junior high. And so okay. just a bunch of white kids running track and we they forced yeah. us to do it because of basketball. They're like, oh, you're going to get your cardio. Oh, yeah. So I ran like the yeah. 200 and then oh, um, yeah. I threw the shot put and the disc and I was terrible at all, all <laughs> of it. I mean, I was okay against like some of my counterparts and then we go to any kind of meets and I just get yeah. blown out of the water. Yeah. Um, I liked it, but it was just like, man, not, yeah. for, not for me. Um, no, I feel you, man. Well, that's awesome. Um, so tell me a little bit about kind of you growing up and, and how did you, you know, come into ministry? What was, what was like the, I think a lot of people think pastors just kind of like, you know, bloom yeah. into it and have always been destined to do it. But what, what was your story? Yeah. So, you know, growing up, uh, it was primarily raised by my, uh, my grandparents, uh, I had my mom and my dad as well, but, uh, I guess you would say like, where was like home? It was primarily my grandparents and stuff. So, um, I remember my grandmother bringing me to church with her as a little kid, uh, going to vacation Bible school and all that good stuff. And, uh, my grandmother went to one church, my grandfather went to another church. So mm. she was like, uh, Baptist, he was Methodist. Right. Uh, and so really you got a big, just difference in the liturgy. But the, the funny part is, is that, you know, uh, being black Methodist is still, it's still, it's, it's very similar how they worship and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, I kind of got the best of both worlds, I guess. Um, you mean be, like being black Methodist is very similar to being like black Baptist? Is that what you're saying? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's very, very conservative, you know, very like in the expression yeah. and stuff like that, you know, so the worship style, I guess you would say that, you know, I got you. Um, so, um, yeah, so I uh, grew up doing that and I'm thankful uh, for my grandmother. I'm thankful for my aunt. Uh, thank you for different ones who like really sowed seeds of like the mm -hmm. truth that was over that time. Um, because uh, really I didn't come to faith in Christ till my freshman year in college. Mm -hmm. And so uh, all the stuff that I had heard, all the stuff that I had really encountered, um, it just really all, all came out, you know, my freshman year in college. And so I met my wife on uh, campus the very first day uh, that I was there. She mm -hmm. showed me how to do campus tours and all that good stuff. And, uh, I never forget after we uh, finished uh, doing the tour because we worked in the same uh, work study office. She said, "Hey, I'm gonna be praying for you," and I was like, "Uh, like praying for me? Like I'm trying to get your number. Like I want you to be praying, <laughs> trying to know? get them digits. I ain't worried about yeah. no prayer. Yeah, I'm worried about prayer, you know. And so I thought that was the weirdest thing, you know. Yeah, uh, that's somebody, hilarious. I had, yeah, I never had somebody tell me like, "Hey, I'm gonna be praying for you," uh, but she started praying for me, and my life went like like from felt like it was going good to everything felt like it was going bad. I think what it was, God started really getting a hold of my life and my heart and really started showing me the direction I was going. Mm -hmm. um, and I really liked this girl. And so um, I was like, hey, you know, she was like, hey, you want to go to church with me? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll go to church with you. I'm going to church, you know, I yeah, yeah. done all the, I checked all the boxes, put it that way, you mm -hmm. know, go to church, you know, I'm being a good person, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I met her dad and uh, like really the first time, uh, first meeting her dad, uh, he was like, hey man, like, you know, so, you know, if you, you know, if you die right now, like, you know, where you spend eternity kind of thing. And uh, I was like, yeah, sure. I'll go to heaven, you know? Uh -huh. And uh, I wasn't sure. I, I wasn't sure at all. In fact, I didn't, I wasn't sure of a lot of stuff. I mean, I had dabbled in some of the nation of Islam I had, you know, kind of was on the really like, you know, ethnicity tip of, you know, hey, this is what makes me righteous. And it was all kind of stuff I was in. I was confused. I was, yeah, I was absolutely. really lost. 
and uh, trying to really find started, that identity. Exactly. Yeah. And he really just started to uh, just love on me and pour into me and didn't shy away from the truth of, you know, who God was and uh, where, how we fell short of, uh, you know, coming up to God's perfect standard, but how much God loved us and sending his son, Jesus. And uh, I never forget, um, you know, when I came to faith in Christ, uh, it was, uh, he, he shared me, she shared the gospel in the car. Uh, and I heard the gospel at a men's meeting and then he shared again with me in the car and then he was like, Hey, you know, you want to trust Christ. And I was like, Oh, you know, I'm fighting, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know, you know, I have to surrender like my whole life. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I really have to give over, like I have to give my whole self over to follow Jesus, you know? And, um, so anyway, he, he said, well, look, why don't we go on a men's retreat together? And, um, he went with me. I mean, you talk about a person that was just patient and loving and but not spitting the truth and went to a men's meeting uh with him uh kind of a retreat heard the gospel again and just responded to it and i said yeah. you know i'm tired of living uh so confused i'm tired of living my own way and just surrendered my life to christ and it wasn't too long after that uh where god really started i started wrestling with the idea of what would it look like for me to really live out my life uh in really a full vocational focus yeah. on ministry. And yeah, that's how I ended up there. Wow. And so how'd that work out with you and your wife? Obviously good. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> she says, she always says, you know, look, she didn't, she didn't marry like a pastor, you know, right. she just married me and I became a pastor, you know, so that's exactly how it went. And so, um, yeah, we, uh, by the grace of God, I, I never get coming to faith in Christ and, uh, God grabbed a hold of my heart. He really did in my mind and my perspective completely shifted uh, from one way to another way. So my desires changed and everything. Um, and I remember saying to uh, my friends, I said, you know, I, I started reading the scriptures, how, scripture I talks about how you should live and how, you know, you should really live out what you believe and, you know, faith without works is dead. And so I said, you know, um, I can't just date this girl. I need to marry her. And, um, you know, I'm 21. And folks are like, you're crazy. Like, what are you doing? Like, you don't get married. Like, you know, you're not yeah. even done with college. And I was like, well, I got two options. One, I could really live out what I believe God has called me to live out, or I can keep going my own way. And my own way was never working. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, we got married uh, not too long after I graduated and uh, been going ever since. Nice, man. You said four kids? Four kids. Yeah. Two boys, two girls. Okay. And, and what are their names? So uh, we have... Uh, RJ is named after me, Ryan, okay. uh, Brayden, uh, so 11, nine, Brayden's nine, uh, Reagan, uh, who is seven and then Bailey, who's four. Nice man. And how long have you guys been married? 16, 16, 16 years, years, man. Yeah, That's awesome. Years. Yeah. I know that's a journey, man. I got two boys of my own and, uh, and being a parent, I think has taught me more about God than anything almost. I mean, marriage definitely, but yeah. the second step yeah. of being a parent. I know. Yeah. I, you know, I liken it and I, I say this about church planning as well. Uh, marriage, parenting, you know, ministry, just, you know, it's, it's the crucible of sanctification. Absolutely. That's a good question. <laughs> you know? So, so let's talk about that. So that for the average listener, somebody out there, you know, is like, what is this Christianity stuff about? And even for the yeah. baby Christian, I think, or the, the person who doesn't realize they're a baby Christian, even though they got saved when they were 15, yeah. talk a little bit about the difference between salvation and sanctification. 
Yeah. So, you know, if you get down to it, I mean, you get down to the, the brass tacks of what, you know, Christianity is all about. I mean, mm-hmm. you look through to the scripture. I mean, you find what it says in First Corinthians 15 uh, about Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day uh, and he offers salvation to all who receive it, you know, uh, by faith. And so when you think about uh, salvation and what it is, salvation really is just it's being saved from the righteous judgment of God mm-hmm. upon the sin. Now that sounds really like, oh man, it sounds really big, but uh, it's the reality of uh, what the scripture talks about how, you know, God is perfect. He's holy. Uh, he's just, and he's righteous. God is completely impartial. Um, but if we recognize who we are, we recognize that we're not that at all, that right. we, we, we don't measure up. Like, I mean, think about it. If you had to measure up yourself to a God who is perfect and just, you're always going to fall short of that. Extremely short. So, no, extremely short. Yeah. <laughs> for me anyway. <laughs> no, yeah, no, for me. And in fact, if I lie about it, you can ask my wife and she'll tell you like, yeah, no, nah, he doesn't measure up at For all, sure. You know? um, and, you know, we see this reality of the scripture talking about all men have fallen short of God's perfect standard. All men have fallen short of that, that, that perfect standard that God has set for us. Uh, and so, the truth of the scripture tells us that the, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all un, all the unrighteousness of people. Now, if we want to be honest, that includes every person. Mm-hmm. But the good news of it is that God loves the world. He sent his son, Christ, who uh, t- took the punishment in our place. And so salvation in itself, it's uh, not just being rescued from uh, you know, hell is not just that, but it's actually being saved from uh, the judgment that we deserve. And yet Christ took it on himself. And that's a great freedom because yeah. now you can live in uh, this unrestricted freedom to know that you're made, you've been made right with the God of the universe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I say this to people often and um, you know, it's, I don't think it's just semantics. I think it's an important statement to make. All people are made in the image and likeness of God. That gives people their value, their dignity, their worth. And that's important. Like that, that is what we stand on as Christians. Absolutely. But to be called a child of God would, would mean you have to be in the family of God. Right. And the only way to get into the family of God is what Jesus told Nicodemus is that you must be born, born again. again. Yeah. You must have new life from above. And you can't earn that life. You can't go up to heaven to get it. You have to receive it from the one who came down from heaven, and that's through Christ. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I think you know the interesting thing about being uh, kind of a trauma therapist and, and working with people if, that aren't Christians um, is that when I, I get to a point with people where if they're not Christian or they're not in the faith or faith has hurt them or whatever, um, you know, I, 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 I see that one of the problems with our society is everybody trying to get worth and value from external things, yeah. what they look like, their performance, yeah. you know, going, going to the Olympics, whatever it is that we try yeah, to do. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like being a therapist, being a pastor, I mean, it can be good things, but we, we think if I finally arrive and achieve this thing, I'm going to have worth and value, right. I'm going to yeah. increase or increase my worth and value by having more money or having a better career or status or whatever. And when I work with people long enough, right. And, and I call it, you know, discipleship you know therapy Mm -hmm. if you're a christian with me is discipleship um it's also therapy but in the in the bottom of it it's going well who where do you get worth and value Mm -hmm. if you realize that every place you're trying to get it externally fails you yeah because i'll have people say that like man i 
I've tried and I've tried and I'm realizing like I can't be good enough, right? I can't be perfect. I, even if I do all the things, it's I always need more. I always need to, you know, do more and be better. And, I, and it never adds up to what gives me that feeling. And yeah. so I'll tell them like, you're right. You know, you, you have to have internal worth and value. You have to have worth and value within yourself. And so how do you get that? Right. And I think that's where the gospel answer comes in is like, you can't earn it. It's been given to you freely, which is grace. Um, and I think people have a light bulb, you know, and I, and I hope people listening right now, like if they are, if they're confused and, and why none of this works, I think it's a skewed version of Christianity, right? What, and you touched on that a little bit. So, so that's salvation, right? Like you said, accepting that that's true, accepting that God loves you unconditionally. And I think one of the key points that you said was that you can't earn it. Yeah. So why is it that you think so much of American church puts such an emphasis on not drinking, not cussing, not dating anybody who does, and yeah. and and, and yeah. essentially like kind of saying you need to earn it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say this. I think for uh, there's there's a couple of different answers to that. I think one of one of the things is that we've been enamored with a um, a moralistic, deistic type of like yeah. message to people. So essentially, because I think what it comes down to is like you know uh, here here's here's a veneer, right? You put a veneer on something it makes it glossy it makes it look great and i think for the past i mean wow i don't even know centuries maybe yeah. especially in america we've had a veneer of um morality mm-hmm. and the veneer of morality it covers over the pig stains that's really there right and you know man you apply enough heat that that veneer is going to come off and so the thing about the gospel is that christ doesn't call us to be moral in the sense of like okay hey change your behavior yeah come to me no christ actually transforms you from the inside out and therefore when he transforms you transforms your heart giving you taking out a stony heart that ezekiel talks about giving you an actual heart of a flesh that's alive now what happens the transformation causes your behavior to follow what you actually believe yeah you know, I tell people this all the time, people do what makes sense to them. And so the reality of a lot of people is like, okay, well, see, you know, I remember before I became a Christian, I remember this. I remember being, feeling convicted of my sin because the Bible says the spirit of God, mm-hmm. he convicts us of sin and the righteousness of God. And I remember understanding, it was like, there's something there I couldn't get right. And I kept trying. So all right, what do I do? I go, I throw away all my DVDs that were, you know, pornographic stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I, I go, all your rap yes, music, all your, all your yeah, rock all my music. music. Yeah. Exactly. I start listening to the gospel only, yep. you know, and then, but nothing changed. <laughs> I, what I was doing is what Jesus talked about. It's not, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you, right? It's, it's your heart. Mm-hmm. It's the heart that Jesus is after. And so, I think that's a big thing, but I, I think that's been a big thing because especially too, like in the more, um, I, I, would say not, I would say this, in the more revivalistic type of preaching too, it's like, okay, if we can get all these people to come up to the front or we can get them to shake their pastor's hand and then say they're saved with no actual transformation, what, what you've really done is that you just made people twice as worse as they were, mm. but now you get them in a habit of works and oh look how good i am without actually being transformed by the gospel yeah it's so good man yeah you're you're so right too is is that it, it really is just that focus on behavior modification and i think um i talk about this all the time that 
our whole society is set up that way. And so I think the church fell into the societal humanistic view of moral, you know, what is it? Moralistic, uh, humanistic deism or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, um, the, our, our judicial system, our prison system, um, our school system, you know, Mm -hmm. our, and even psychology is so heavily focused on behavior modification. And we even do this with, in parenting. You know, we, we think, I'll do these yep. things and my kids will turn out this way. And if something's going wrong with my kids, I must not be doing something right. And it's like all yep. this behavior modification. Um, and in therapy, mm-hmm. we do the same thing. It's like you get people to stop, you know, to set boundaries or to stop drinking or stop watching porn or, you yep. know, to not yell at their wife mm-hmm. or their husband. But that only lasts a little while. Yep. And if your heart doesn't change, if your belief system doesn't change, then yep. you can't continue to keep it going. And I always say it's like, um, and you said it, you know, you have this, we think like, I'll do these good things and God will be happy with me mm-hmm. instead of, hey, God is really, really happy with me already despite my mm-hmm. bad behavior. And so therefore I want to do good things, right? It's like we yeah. think about our spouses and we're like, well, yeah. you know, they're great to us. They're kind to us. They help with our kids. They, they, they love us. They support us. They don't cheat on us. So I think I could cheat on them and it'd be fine. Mm-hmm. And it's yep, like, no, exactly. no, no like, that's not how it works. And so God is right. good to us and loyal to us and, and yeah. unconditional with us. So why would we mm-hmm. then go and want to do something that separates us from them? Exactly. So, you know, one of the things I, I tell our church all the time is that we live, we live rightly because we have been made right. Mm, that's good. So we, live, we live righteously because of his righteousness. So because like it is exactly what you just said is because I love him. And because my desire is to please him, that then outflows in how I live my life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like the battle with sin is really a battle of, okay, what am I desiring more? Am I loving him? And do I recognize how much? He, in fact, I, I tell my kids this all the time. You can't, you can't earn God's love. You can't work for his love. You can't, you can't even make him love you more. God is love. Mm -hmm. And so the reality of God being love, it just, that's mind blowing to us because you you can't, the Bible says God loved us while we were still his enemies. That's right. So wait, he loves me when I was his enemy, but wait, hold on. So now I'm his child, right? I've been born again. So I don't have to like, I don't have to, I, I tell my church all the time. It's like, you don't have to take the rose petal. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. It's he, he loves you. And that love then should translate to you wanting to live rightly for him, not to earn salvation, but because of your salvation. Man, that's good. Yeah, I think, so that leads us to the comment of sanctification, right? Yeah. So that's kind of where I think people get confused is, is they they think sanctification and and what that is, is salvation. And so they get in that, I love that analogy, the rose petal thing, when in reality, sanctification is our process of moving closer to Christ. So can you talk about exactly. that a little bit? Oh yeah. So yeah, no, you, you just defined it. I mean, sanctification is that process of being set apart for God's work and being conformed to the image of Christ. Look, the, the scripture tells us is that the, that he who began a good work, it's faithful to finish it. Right. Mm-hmm. So God keeps his promises. Whatever he says, he's going to start, he's going to finish, and he's going to bring us to himself for you know, that great day when he returns. And so each one of us are being, if you're a follower of Christ and you're in, in him, right, we're walking out this narrow way. And as we're walking, the spirit of God is 
shaping us and working on our character and working on those aspects of us. And we're presenting, Romans 6 says, present even your members <laughs> to him. Right. So even your, your, I mean, your heart, your mind, all this stuff you presented to him. And so you're being conformed or shaped to, to the image of Christ, to look more like him. You know, I, I, I laugh all the time. It is true. It's like the moment you're, you're, the moment God is done with you is the moment you're in the casket yep. and you're standing for him. Dead. There is no more sanctification, right? Yeah. There is no more working on your character. There is no more being coming like Christ. I mean, you're standing before him. The, the, the work is done. And so, um, you know, I, there's a, a scripture, I think it's in Philippians 2, uh, 13. It says, you know, work out your salvation with both fear and trembling. Mm. And what that simply means is this. We have a reference for what God has done and we're in awe of what he's done for us. And so by default, our lifestyle then is lived in awe and reverence of what he's done. Mm -hmm. And he transform, he's transforming us daily and daily. So every time you read the word and you're applying it, that's a work of sanctification. When the spirit of God is convicting your heart of uh, sinful attitudes or, or lifestyle, that's a work of sanctification. And so that's just God working on those who are his to make them look more like his son. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other problem we have is that, um, and I know I've done it, when you're sitting in a sermon and you're mad at somebody or frustrated or hurt and, and somebody's preaching and you're thinking, I hope Bill listens to this or I hope Dad oh, yeah. listens to this, you know. Um, yeah. So many things I think when we get into these kind of debates or people dial into salvation or sanctification, they're thinking about other people. And what I mean by that is um, – most of the word, in my opinion, from Scripture is for us to process ourselves, right? So when we look at salvation and we go, okay, why do I need to know what salvation is? Well, I need to know what salvation is so I can know my heart. Not so mm. I can necessarily look at other people and choose whether I think they are or aren't saved. Yep. However, exactly. we we have to have fruit, right? Mm -hmm. So talk about that a little bit. Like, if you are saved, then you produce fruit. So how do you measure how much fruit you're producing to know if you're saved or is that even a thing you should do? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. So the, the Bible tells us like, you know, you should bring forth fruits that are, you know, from works of repentance, right? So you're, mm -hmm. your repentance, right? You're making that 180 turn, right? You're going one way, you make a 180 turn and now your life should start to reflect that 180 turn, right? So one of the ways you definitely can, you know, bear fruit for the Lord is do what John 15 says. Jesus said, look, abide in me, and I in you, right? And you will bear much fruit, right? Because apart from you, you can do nothing. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we can do first is abide in Christ. That means remain in him, yeah. allow his life to flow through you, right? Uh, with your thoughts and your attitudes, right? Uh, also to recognizing what the fruits that God are looking for, what are they, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Galatians tells us the fruits of the spirit, right? That, that spirit life that's emanating out of you from being, saved are love joy peace patience gentleness kindness meekness long-suffering self-control now it doesn't mean you're just going down a checklist and like okay i got love today check i got you know self-control today check yeah no because that would be behavior modification right that, that would, would be, be only doing those things to get into exactly. heaven or to get the ticket or to please god or whatever exactly the fruitful christian life is that life is that's living in constant trust of the lord and it's living in a way that is constantly looking to the Lord for everything that they need. Mm -hmm. And so you you should be seeing God doing a work in you. And look, I, I tell this to my kids all the time. Does a Christian sin? Oh, yeah, they do. 
I mean, absolutely. Yeah, they do. Right. I mean, but first John tells us when you do sin, you, you go, you turn right back to the Lord, knowing that the way has been made open. Mm-hmm. Lord, you know, I, I, Lord, you know, I shouldn't have yelled at my child like that. Lord, you know, help me, help me with that attitude. Absolutely. And Christ is always there saying, Hey, you know, I already know, but Hey, look, I'm working on your heart. Mm-hmm. I'm working on your mind. I'm, I'm helping you to walk through these things and you'll see the maturity at look i i'm a i'm different than i was uh you know 20 something years ago when i became a christian versus than i am now yeah and how do i know that well there's desires that i used to have and i don't have anymore and there's some desires i have now that god is working on and trying to break me out of those as well yeah and so it's a constant walk where you're submitting yourself to the lord and he's changing your heart, changing your design and your perspective as well. That's good, man. Yeah. I see so many people in therapy. Um, we do the work and they do the work and they do the work and they get closer to Christ and, uh, and they laugh, you know, they come in and they laugh and they're like, well, this is way harder. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, I thought yeah. this was supposed to get easier. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you have more peace, right? Not yeah. comfort, but peace. Right. But like the closer you get to like I work with sex addiction all the time or alcoholism or, you know, these these big ticket kind of behaviors that people would kind of flinch at. And it's like, yeah, once you get the big things controlled, then you start looking at all the little nuances of sin Mm -hmm. where your heart is, where your mind is. where. So maybe you're not doing the the relapse behavior, but you start realizing that. It's not just drinking that's the problem. It's thinking about drinking. It's wanting to escape yourself. It's hating yep. yourself. It's all these things. And so yep. I think that's, you know, that parallels really well with what the sanctification process because it's like mm-hmm. you can't just do good things because we see that in the mm-hmm. Bible, right? We see Jesus calling exactly. the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Yep. And so it's exactly. like they are the religious of the day where they look, there's a lot of people who look really good. They save, mm-hmm. you know, they serve people, they preach, they, they yep. go out and give money and they, but their heart's not in it. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, the other day, uh, and, and you know, this is why it's important if you're if you're a follower of Christ to find yourself in the scripture because the more you read the word of God, uh, the more it's going to shape your character and change your worldview and, and all those things. And so um, I was reading uh, in the scripture probably a couple weeks ago, um, and I was really convicted in my heart about my own individualistic ideas yeah meaning trying to do everything on my own trying to you know do all you know not pushing people out and i was like oh i'm not really doing that but i was and i and and the spirit of god really convicted me you know i was reading you know hey you know the scripture calls us to bear one another's burdens you know uh you know care one another's burdens and i was reading that and i was like ah i know there's there's stuff i'm i'm holding on to that I'm not sharing with anybody mm-hmm. uh, because I'm too, I'm too afraid of what they're going to think of. Me. Yeah, man, that gets oh, pastors man. in trouble all the time. All the time. It's like, yeah. oh, they're going to think I don't have it together. And so here's the thing. I can't just preach it. I have to actually practice what I'm preaching because <laughs> Amen, I'm held accountable to the same thing I'm teaching. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have a pastor that I'm really close with and, uh, and you know, how my wife kept saying, you need to call him. Like you should call him. Like he's been at, trying to reach out to his older guy. Like, you know, you need to trust the Lord and trust the gospel is sufficient. So you're not worrying about fearing man. And I, I know, I know, but I don't want to. Kind of right. thing. But 
what do I do? Well, I had to submit my will to his will. Yeah, man. So good. And then I picked up that phone and called and uh, I was obedient to do it. So that's a mark too. It's, it's maturity as well. Yeah. You don't always and have to so feel like it. No, you don't always have to feel like it. No. And I picked up and called and man, it was a blessing, man, because um, just like he, I, I was getting learning from him and I was sharing some of the stuff I was going through. Uh, man, I got a, I got so much out of that. And he was so blessed by me calling. And so that's a small thing, but it's just what you say, a guy working on you where you are. Yeah, that, I don't think that's small, man, at all. I think I think that is the thing. That is a monumentous mountain of a thing to be yeah. vulnerable, to be a leader, to be a husband, to be a man, to be a dad, to be a pastor, and to be vulnerable and reach out and say, hey, I don't have it all together, and I need some accountability, and I need somebody looking in on my life and walking me through it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been going to therapy for 11 years. And going to Bible studies and, 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 you know, doing this podcast and doing therapy and, and feeling like a leader. And I'm with you, man. If I don't have people in my life who know my deepest, darkest stuff, mm-hmm. I'm in trouble. You know, I need yeah. people, best friends, pastors, therapists who, yeah. who, if something comes out or I fell apart, would not be surprised. Would go, yeah. well, we knew that. We've been working on it, you know. Exactly. And that actually is so freeing. Because I don't live my life feeling like I'm going to get busted or feeling like I'm hiding something or, or holding this deep shame. That doesn't mean I don't yep. wrestle with shame. Yeah. Right. That means that Satan's going to have it out for me even worse. Yeah. I don't know about you, but that, you know, that's how I felt when I got ordained. I felt like since the day I got ordained and stood in front of my family and friends and, and like said, okay, part of what I'm going to do as a therapist is ministry, man, it's been on and popping. It's yeah. just been boom, boom, yeah. boom, boom, you know, and there's been seasons yeah. and there's peace in it, but like it definitely shifted. Mm-hmm. And so I yeah, think pe- no. people don't want, like you said, like we, we wrestle with the idea of submitting and knowing that's true, knowing it's going to be harder. Um, and we're like, yeah, but I don't want that. Yeah, I know. I know. And you know, uh, just as you're talking about this uh, idea of uh, fear, you know, uh, first John talks about like, there is no fear in love. And the reason why is that when you, when you understand the love of God and you understand the gospel, the reason why you don't fear is because you understand that now uh, there is no judgment to come on you. Yeah. Because the judgment has already come on Christ. And so that's why we trust in what Christ has done because now it's like, okay, you know what? Well, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Uh, I, I want to walk in a way that's uh, glorifying God. And so even when I stumble, guess what? If I'm, I'm sharing with another Christian as well, it should be like, yeah, hey, Me I, too. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Me too. But we help one another Absolutely. and we encourage one another along. Well, I think that's such a good point because we don't get that though in the American church. No. So many times, you know, we come to church, we, even just on a Sunday morning, you're in an argument with your wife on the way to church, you're fighting, yeah. you're, you're bickering, and then you get to church and you show up and you're like, oh, I don't sin. I got it all together. I did really good this yeah. week. Let me praise Jesus and thank him for the great life I have instead yeah. of showing up desperate. Yeah. Right. Tyler and I talked about this Tennessee a couple of weeks ago, like, Instead of showing up desperate for the Holy Spirit, going, listen, I am filthy rags. I need some help. We And knowing all of us are in it together, we just show up so put together and so, you know, tense and just like, oh, I don't want anybody to know anything. And well, think about it. We have church services that are so well put together that it doesn't even lend itself a lot of times to be broken. You know, and it's not necessarily just like this, just saying, hey, we shouldn't have excellence and all those kind of things. But, yeah, I mean, we, we you know, we, we paint ourselves so beautiful uh, instead of saying, hey, no, we're, we're coming here. We're being refined and we're trying to really seek after the Lord. And uh, those are things that uh, 
every Christian should be doing. Look, I, you know, there, there was a, there's a guy I know that, um, you know, shared with his pastor not too long ago. Uh, his pastor was sharing with them about uh, what we're talking about, being open and being transparent. And, you know, if you're struggling, like let someone know. And, um, you know, he called his pastor up and he told him, he said, man, he said, you know, this is the first time in my Christian walk. And he's like, this is like almost like a 60 year old guy mm-hmm. that he said, I felt comfortable sharing anything I'm struggling with. And he told his pastor, he's like, man, I, I thank you for telling me that because that actually set me free. Amen. And, um, you know, he was just sharing and said, you know, look, he said, man, I shared this thing on Facebook. And he said, it was like, he said, I shared it and they had some sexual content in it. And he said, I didn't know at the time and I've been beating myself up. And he said, I wouldn't have never shared that or told that to anybody. Um, but I want to be open about it. And, uh, you know, his his pastor, pastor was telling me about that. I said, man, that's great. You know, that's how it should be, especially, uh, with us as believers that we can walk in that freedom. That's good. Yeah. Because I think part of the, the, the resistance from like a non-Christian is that, you know, and they've and we've heard this forever, but just, you know, Christians are hypocrites. You oh know, they yeah. Say one thing yeah. and they do uh, another. And yeah. so how would you, how would you kind of address that conversation or that, that comment? Yeah, no. Uh, and, and you know, you deal with that a lot. I mean, especially in the urban context, uh, you know, you hear that a lot about the hypocrisy and stuff like that. And I think, um, well, one, Yes. Are there those who kind of uh, misrepresent Christianity in a way where it says, oh, you're, you know, saying one thing and mean another? Sure. Uh, but then the, the reality is uh, that goes to show you the reality of the need for a savior, mm-hmm. because Jesus was not hypocritical at all. The gospel isn't either because it meets you right where you are and calls you to oh, a higher calling and bigger good. than yourself. So, you know, so then you just, I mean, it brings it right back there. It's like, yeah, you know what? You're exactly right. And that's exactly why we need the gospel. That's so good, man. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard it a little bit like that, but that, that was, that was well said because that you're so true. Like the, the bucking of the system, right. Is, is like, yeah, us too. You know, Mm -hmm. this, this is why we need it. You're so, that was really good. I like that. Um, Tell me, you said the urban. So tell me a little bit about that. Like what, what's been interesting for you, especially in the last uh, year or so of being an African-American pastor, working in kind of an urban environment. Do you think there's some unique things going on um, that are barriers or that are benefits or what within, within kind of the church system? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, when you, when you think about urban, like define, right? I mean, urban really define is just, it's a densely populated city, city area that has uh, a, a dense population. I mean, that's really urban, right? So right. Uh, in the urban context, I mean, it's, uh, you have a rise of the new kind of atheism, you have a rise in, um, you know, black identity cults, uh, you have a rise in uh, the nuns, you know, hey, people not having any type of faith. And so mm-hmm. I think what you see is a, a huge rise of a rejection of any type of authority, a uh, huge rise of, um, man, anything institutional. It's like, hey, you know, yeah. people don't have anything like that. Um, and then like a, a complete rejection of anything Christian. So especially in our context, the thing we deal with um, a lot um, and I talk about it a lot it is, uh, you know, Christianity being the white man's religion. Uh, you hear that so much, uh, you know, you kind of hear it so much. So it's like, oh, my goodness, if I, if I had I, I would be rich, if I, you know, anytime you hear people talk about it. Um, and so you hear that a lot. And so you, you kind of deal with a lot of that um, and uh, just an idea of a more um, and I use this term in a the theological sense, but just more of a, uh, a, a 
liberal type of uh, theological thinking. And essentially what I mean by that is it's just a rejection of Christ. It's a rejection of the, the authority of scripture, a rejection of, you know, any of those things that would seem uh, foundational to the Christian faith. Yeah. Uh, never rise of that. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's very difficult now. I mean, in this last year, especially, <laughs> I won't get into it too much, uh, but yeah. you know, it's, yeah. we, we have kind of cut our legs out from underneath us in some ways from the evangelical movement and the, in the sure. Christian worldview. Um, cause when yeah. you, when you speak of fruits of the spirit, again, I think people want sincerity and they want Christians to be people who are being honest. And that yeah. means that they are, they are people who boast in their weaknesses. They are people who come, you know, to share the gospel, to need the gospel, but also to live out that they need it just as much as anybody else. And not they needed it, but they constantly need it. Yeah. And so for people to have that humility to be leaders and to be Christians and to be open about their sin while at the same time not living in shame and still teaching and still preaching and still leading, I think that's the movement we need in the American church is more people like you, like people at our church, you know, that. Yeah. They're they're constantly able to fight that that balance. Mm-hmm. Um but in the big picture, you know, in the on television and, and media, you see Christians who seem to have it all together and they have the answer to tell the rest of us or the rest of the world like you need to get it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the small majority that seems like speaking for everybody. Right. And it's like, well, no, that's not really, you know, it's like, for example, uh, if somebody who wanted to understand Christianity turned on TVN, you know, or something like that, like they, they may they may actually see some actual real solid like this is the Christian faith. But then a good portion of it is is not, you know, it's a it's a, it's a hodgepodge of all kind of different stuff. And yeah. so. I think that's just a, it's a fight that we, a fight when I say, I mean, just a, something we had to wrestle with, you know, with people. And uh, it, I call it like people need to see an authentic faith lived out by an authentic people that know the true, authentic and biblical Jesus. Absolutely, man. Yeah, because I think when people meet that, they go, oh, this isn't what I don't like. Uh huh. And that's yeah, what I've different. seen, right? They're like, oh, yeah. wait, hold on. I thought this and this and this and this but you're saying and you're being and you're doing this. I actually like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what so somebody yeah. said the other day, we we're talking about the 10 commandments and they were saying, you know, they're so oppressive, you know, I just, you know, who would want to serve a God that's so oppressive. And I said, okay, so it's oppressive to not steal, to not yeah. murder, to not right. cheat on your wife, right. to not have any other gods that aren't there that mm-hmm. don't exist. You know, like go down the list. It's like, no, none of that's oppressive. Mm-hmm. It's actually exactly. all things you don't want to do, and if you do them, are going to be bad for you mm-hmm. and and your neighbor. Yeah, well, for neighbor. sure. Yeah, and your neighbor. Yeah, and I think that's the, that's the thing we have to push against is having, um, you know, being able to what you three talks about. You know, give a defense for the, the faith that you have, and uh, really doing it in a way that's. Uh, and even when you have to deal with hard hard topics, I mean, you know, even when you have to deal with topics of gender and uh, different stuff like that, it's like. Yeah, here's what truth is, and this is why. Uh, but it's it's done in a very authentic way to say, hey, this is this is who Jesus is, and this is why this is true, uh, and this is how we live it out. Yeah, and I, and I think it also has to be done in discipleship. Yeah, and 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 what I mean by that is relationship. So you, you yeah. know, you bring up gender, or we bring up homosexuality, or any, you know, abortion, or any of these hot topics that can be debated and back and forth, and people get really upset, and it's mm-hmm. like. For me, I mean, in your position, obviously, as a pastor, you can preach from the pulpit and you can say what you need to say and do what you need to do uh, for now, right? Um, Yeah, yeah, right. But but the reality is, is that 
I think people, Christians, tend to try to have those conversations in big forums and big groups, and I would rather see them have them as individuals in discipleship because it's only that then that people feel safe. So if you do have an issue with gender or some other thing, you need to be talking to an individual person and getting to know them and getting to know their heart and, and where they come from before you can really speak truth in their life because the Holy Spirit is the one who speaks that truth. It's not you. It's not facts that you're supposed to speak. It's the relationship and the dying to self and the being Jesus that will open that heart and open that mind. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. No, it makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, you think about uh, even, you know, among Christians, you know, just getting back to that whole idea of discipleship and of like, hey, let's get back to uh, what the word of God says. And also like letting people wrestle with some of that stuff, you know, uh, not being afraid to, you know, engage. And, and if somebody, somebody may be wrestling with um, the truth, but it's okay to wrestle with it. Yeah. You know, it's okay to wrestle with like, ah, man, it's so hard. Like, I don't really... I don't grasp it, but that's all right. Like, you know, uh, let them wrestle uh, because just like you had to wrestle with it as well. Uh, pray, wrestle with it, walk through it, continue to point to the truth and trust the working of the Holy Spirit mm. who ch- that he's the one who transforms. He's the one who changes hearts. He's the one who changes minds. Um, not us. We're just vessels. I mean, we're just vessels. We proclaim. Jars we put of it clay. out there. Yeah, with jars of clay, right? What's in us is more important. And so we put it out there and trust God to that he does the work. Yeah, for sure. I think that you're, that's perfect. I mean, it's like when we take over and we think I'm going to tell this person this truth about scripture and then they're going to believe it. And when they don't, we're super disappointed. So we double down, Mm -hmm. you know, that typically, Mm -hmm. you know, isn't actually living an authentic Christ centered life. And so the person then feels like it's incongruent and feels like it's dangerous and then they reject it. And what they're rejecting is not actually the truth of Christianity, but is my human flesh coming out trying to be in charge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, here's the thing. I mean, you know, you can't you can't beat them over the head with the Bible. And be like, hey, you know, you're going to get this, whatever. But no, I mean, look, there's some people, especially here in New Orleans. I mean, look, there's times where we share the gospel and we share the gospel. and We point people to truth and we continue to share the gospel. And we love on them. They'll come to the church for a little while, then they leave and you won't see them for a while. And then all of a sudden they show back up and then they have this conversation with this person and that person. And then you're like, they're saved. You're like, wait, how do you get saved? Like what happened? Like, you know, and I, I know in our context, like any person gets saved, any person that like is getting baptized, come to faith in Christ following. Look, we can't take any credit for it yep. because it's, it's the Lord and it's, it's the power of God. And so I've been convicted even lately of making sure when I preach that I'm trusting in the power of the spirit. I'm trusting in the power of the word of God uh, to transform and not my, style not my technique not this or that but it is the word of god it's the working of the spirit and that's the thing we want to trust in absolutely that's so true and i think that's such a barrier for the average christian you know not average but the person who's out there not not being a bivocational minister is that they think well i don't know what to say and i don't have the right things to say and i'm not i don't have a you know degree in seminary and blah 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 and it's like well even if you do it's not you anyway Exactly. Because as a clinician, I know this. I mean, there's been times where I'm like on, on, you know, on point and I'm doing everything. I'm using all the trauma stuff. I'm adding in theology and, you know, the person, nothing happens. And mm-hmm. then there'll be another session where you know, I'm tired, I got in a fight with my wife, my kids are driving me crazy. I'm trying yeah. to focus and pay attention and be empathetic and, and do the best I can. 
And the next session they come back and they're like, that was the best session I've ever had. You said this <laughs> yeah. and it changed my life. I'm like, uh-huh. I don't even know what I said. You know, like, yeah, that's all, that's just that constant hum- humiliating, you know, reminder yeah. of mm-hmm. you ain't doing nothing, man. You know, no, you're, you're showing so up and you're, yes, those things are important and yes, theology helps. And yes, all those kind of mm-hmm. things help, you know, they're not pointless, but at the end right. of the day, God's going to do what he's going to do despite our ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's no, good, man. So, okay. So we unpacked that. So let's, let's ask. So I had, I asked a couple of people and I'd sent you the question. So these are some yeah. just topics that people in my office, people that I've mm-hmm. asked, like they want kind of, oh, I wonder what the answer to this is. So, um, number one, um, is the old Testament relevant? Right. So I think a lot of people who aren't Christians, but even Christians have a problem with old Testament yeah. stuff. So they're like, well, God was killing people and da, 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 da. And then some people are like, well, Jesus is here, so now we don't listen to anything in the Old Testament, none of it matters. So how do we balance that out? How do we relate scripturally the Old Testament, the New Testament, and what does that mean? So I think uh, the the best broad picture view of it is to understand that the New Testament actually interprets the Old Testament. And so what I mean by that is when you read uh, the Old Testament, let's say even looking at the crucifixion of Jesus, right? Uh, man, you, you see that. And then let's say you go back to the Old Testament, read something like Isaiah 53. Well, reading Isaiah 53 by itself, and it talks about, you know, this this lamb is going to be slain and this this Messiah type figure. You're like, man, what is this all talking about? But then you see it fulfilled in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the New Testament interprets the old. You can really understand what the Old Testament was doing and all the types and shadows when you see the fulfilling of it in the new. So you see that. That's a big picture. Look at it. I think the big question people are really asking, though, is that there's two, two, one, two questions, really. One, in regards to the law. So, you know, you think about the, they see about the laws of Leviticus and you see yeah. all these things that God is saying. It's like, whoa, like, wow, what's going on, you know? Well, a key to really understanding that kind of relationship between uh, even the Christian and the, and the law, uh, the law that we find in Leviticus and, and different things uh, is understanding like who the law was given to. Right. We see the reality of a lot of these laws were given to the nation of Israel. Um, it's a very it's a theocratic government. It's God running his government. Right. And saying this is how you live. These are the parameters that you have. And it's really w- was helping his people to live with a different distinction than all the cultures that were going on around them. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have that. I mean, you have a lot of these, uh, you know, ceremonial type of laws. You have a lot of these civil laws. But then you have also, too, what you find is the, the moral kind of laws of the Old Testament. You just mentioned it. I mean, like the, the Ten Commandments, we, we see that there. Those uh, moral laws that kind of really still stand and mm-hmm. still there. It's still wrong to murder. It's still wrong yeah. to commit adultery, right? Those things are still there. But the question then is for the Christian, then how does that then apply to us, right? How does that then apply to us? Well, we we see in Galatians 6, 2, the Bible tells us that now because of Christ, we're under that law of Christ because Christ became a curse for us. Mm-hmm. So the Jews, right, under God's theocratic rule, they had to sacrifice animals and they had to do all this kind of stuff to um, have their sins covered over. Christ comes he became he became sin for us and so essentially he takes on the punishment that we deserve his sacrifice the bible tells us is once and for all so now we're under that law of christ which is surmised in this to love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength to love your neighbor as yourself this is how we're called to live right and this the law is fulfilled right because christ fulfilled the law us living it out is there so 
the question then would be, well, what do we do now with like the Old Testament? Is the God of the Old Testament different than the God of the New Testament? Yep. Well, the truth is, it's the same God. It's the same God. In fact, one of the things I think people have a hard time with is that when you see like, man, like God is wiping out whole cities. Right. Like, yeah, man. man. God is like this vengeful, like, no, here's the thing. Think about this. Even when we look at the story of Noah, right? We look at the story of Noah. It wasn't like God just turned the switch one day and was like, you know what? I'm done with these folks. Yep. Man, you think about the long suffering, 400 some odd years, right? Years and years and years, right? God just allowed, you know, uh, people to, to turn. So we see the long suffering of God. We see the mercy of God. Look, we can even go back to Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve fell. I mean, God could have easily said, you know what? Uh, that's it. Like they're not having <laughs> yeah. any children. But what did the Bible say? The Bible says that right there, God took the skin of an animal, covered them, right? He did the work. They didn't do the work. Mm -hmm. You see the mercy of God. You see even the promise of God there. And so we see this reality of this, this God who is holy, he's just, he's righteous, he's good. And we see the same God in the New Testament who sent his son. And yet, think about it this way. If you go through the whole New Testament, the same God of the old who dealt with sin uh, in the Old Testament and gave people time to repent is the same God who will do the same thing as well when it comes to the end of the age. Yeah. But yet the same God is giving moment after moment, time after time, mercy after mercy, and calling people to himself. And so we see this, this we should see this full picture of the Lord from the Old to the New Testament. That's so good. I think too, I mean, the key again, it's like the person, you know, who asked that the other question, it's like, it's, it's our humility that we have to have. Like the fact that we are even asking, is this fair? It means we're looking yeah. at our, we're not really looking at the, the situation. You look at Noah, like you use Noah and it's like, okay, mm -hmm. if every single person on the entire earth was evil, yep. right? If they're, and then this is not like they're being mean, right? They're cutting you off no. in traffic. This is like they're raping and pillaging and murdering mm -hmm. children, women, every, like everybody. There's no people who are grouped up just trying to do the right thing. Right. Like, is it fair to let, you know, if we go into fair, you know, from a, a godly perspective, it's like, it's funny because the same people who would say, well, God's mean and, you know, he, they would not allow that in their life. Mm -hmm. They would not want no. that. They would actually be, if they were on the other side of the receiving end of it, begging God to take them out, mm -hmm. you know, and it's. It's it's like the whole free will, you know, part comes into that. I, I see that a lot. It's sure. like, God, why does God allow terrible things to happen, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, why yeah. would God allow a bus to crash and for kids to die? Right. And it's like, well, we all have free will. Mm -hmm. He allowed that bus driver or the driver who hit the bus to make choices. And that goes mm -hmm. back all the way to, you know, Old Testament that we make choices mm -hmm. and he allows us to do those things. And there are consequences from those choices. And it's, yeah, no, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, it's just interesting, like, for me personally, it's like, when people hurt me or being offensive, it's like, I want God to take his choice and his free will mm -hmm. and make him good, make him yeah. unable to hurt me. But yep. please, exactly. God, don't take my free will mm -hmm. and, and force me to do good things, or then I wouldn't like you or trust you or respect you because you'd be forcing me. Exactly. And it's this duplicity, you know? Exactly. Yeah, no, and a big part of it is is how people see God because in the end, it goes back to this. When you make a God in your own image and likeness, mm, that's good, man. Then that God has to operate in your very limited, finite way of thinking. Now, you got to think about this. We're talking about a God 
who the Christian God, we're talking about the God who breathed out the sun in all the planets. And with one word, all things came into being. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about a God who is omniscient, omnipresent. We're talking about a God who not only knows all, but is in, in, in all places at all times. So that means that God is in the beginning, the middle, and the end, and sees all things in between, and then is sovereignly in control of all things. This is why the Bible says his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it goes back to, are you really, are you, do you have a proper view of the God that you say that you're demanding on, or do you really see him in a different light, which it takes humility. It takes us saying, you know, wow, well, I may not know all things, you know, like you mentioned, the problem of evil, which that's a big, hard thing for a lot of people, right? I mean, it goes back to this reality of God creating the world in his image and likeness. You know, this this world, he created man in his image and likeness, but this world is broken. I mean, this world is broken. It's fallen. This is why we have earthquakes and floods and all these different things that go go on. I would say this, and I, and I, I make this, and this is the thing, Christianity makes some bold claims. And so sure. this is a bold claim. I would say this, the Christian faith is the only faith that addresses the problem of evil and addresses the problem of man fully. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think, and it it's funny because it's also the only one that's not works-based. Exactly. You know, and I think, exactly. I think the confusion for people is, is they think that the way we live it out so much in life, like we talked about earlier, is as Christians, sometimes we forget that in our own hearts and in our own minds, we spend time, I know I do, trying to please God and make him happy or shame myself because I think he's mad at me or disappointed with me. Yep. And then because we're doing that when we're in relationship and should be in discipleship with a free heart and a free mind and, you know, people are hearing a message from us or seeing, you know, our actions as, well, hold on, you don't really believe what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And so then they think, oh, well, God is a God who, you know, is judging me and criticizing me and disappointed in me. Um, and then that cycle just continues. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, you think about even like the you know the problem of evil and stuff like that. You say, man, well, where's the justice, you know, in this world? You know, where's the justice? Well, when you look at the cross, you see the, the justice of God and the mercy of God collide in one moment. Mm-hmm. Christ is there on that cross. And you see, man, like he he's taking on like the sin of the world. And so you see God, you know, I mean, pouring it all on Christ on our behalf. But yet we also see the reality of the very mercy of God that when we you know, place our faith and trust in him, there's mercy extended to us. You know, I think about it this way. There's coming a day that, you know, as Christians, we hold that the Bible is clear that every tear will be wiped away. Um, you know, the impartial judge of the universe will judge impartially. And so that's why when the scripture talks about, you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, you know, the the battle is the Lord's, all those things is showing us that there's a God who is just, a God who is good, a God who will rectify all things. Mm -hmm. And that's why Romans tells Christians is, look, all things are working together. So look, somebody says, man, why did I lose my leg? Well, I don't know. I can't tell you exactly why. But what I can tell you is there's a God who who's working things together who's shaping things together for, especially if you're Christian for his glory and your ultimate good. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot we may not understand, but I think it's the beautiful, beautiful picture of this tapestry being woven together, uh, you know, in your life. You know, I remember when I was a kid, 
um, uh, I remember uh, I wrestled with this a lot because, you know, I was about probably about seven years old and my, my, my mom was married to a man who was abusive and, and all this kind of stuff. And I remember her going back into the abusive situation and, and all this stuff. And I remember, um, you know, just questioning that, man, why am I here? Why am I here? That kind of stuff. And I remember there was one time where my mom uh, just fled the situation. And so I'm in the bathtub. She rips me out of the bathtub. I'm like naked in front of the whole neighborhood. Everybody's outside. It's horrible. Right. And, you know, I'm seven, you know, I'm like, man, this is super the most traumatic. Yeah. yeah, super trauma, you know, and I never forget like living with that trauma, you know, for a long time. And I said, man, where was Jesus? Like, why, why wasn't he there? You know, why didn't God like step in and stuff like that? And, and this shame, but they had to recognize that God did do something about my shame. It was right there at the cross that Jesus himself was humiliated and Jesus himself took on that. And so I had to give all that humiliation over to him. And the question would be, well, man, if God loved you uh, so much, then why didn't you know God do something in that moment? Well, God did love me enough and did something for me that he called me to himself, that he you know, saved me, that he healed my heart and that he allowed me to even be able to share that kind of thing with other people to say, look, there's a God who loves you despite the sinfulness of man, despite the choices that people make, there's a God who even can work through the brokenness of people to bring things together for the good. And it may not always work out the way you think, but it doesn't take away from him being good in all things. That's so good. Yeah. We want to make it simple. You know, people want to break down the good and the evil and all this kind of things and make it simple and make it black and white. And so they can have control. And -hmm. I think it does go back to that faith idea of like, like you said earlier of leaning into the uncomfortableness of not knowing yeah. and trusting that God's yeah. plans are bigger than our ways. And if we really sit down and think about it, if there is a God and we are Christian, then mm-hmm. do we really think that we can know what God, God's plans are? I, I had that lesson the last couple of months, um, you know, just looking at plans that I have for the few in last year, you know, you have all these, I had all these oh, speaking yeah. engagements and all these plans yeah. and literally mm-hmm. flights booked everywhere and COVID happens and all of that goes kaputs. And for a moment, I'm yep. sitting thinking, I've worked 10 years to get to this point and be able to do yeah. these things. And I'm trying to go and share God's message and go and share health and, and help the church and help and da, da, da. I, 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 me, 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 I'm doing all these things. And, yeah. uh, and God taught me over the years, like, I still got this. Like, yes, I want you to do mm-hmm. things. And yes, I want to, but it's not, it's not, you know, reliant on you being able to do X, Y, and Z a certain way. I'm going to do my mm-hmm. thing, you know? And that's yeah. such a humbling and also peaceful place because then you can slow down, you know, then you can mm-hmm. chill and you can go, okay, I'm going to do the best. I'm going to, I'm going to, like you said earlier, I'm going to give excellence to what I do, but I'm not going to take yeah. the credit and I'm also not going to live in despair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's good, man. And I think that's the thing that number one, two people who are not Christians have to understand that the Bible is very clear. Like the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So just becoming a Christian doesn't absolve you from walking through trials. Right. It, it doesn't absolve you from walking through persecution and hard times. And sometimes even for Christians, the money's not right. And, <laughs> and then everything's not working out the way they for think. Sure. However, though, the difference is, is that what you just said is that we're resting and trusting in a God who we believe and, and rest and trust that he has all things working together, that he's the one who's in ultimately control of everything and so we rest and know and look there's things we may not fully understand but we know that god is still carrying us that he's faithful to be with us and that guess what one day i'll be able to be with him 
And you know, the funny thing is, I hear people say this kind of stuff all the time. I was like, oh, when I get to heaven, you know, I'm going to ask God. He's going to explain all this stuff to me. <laughs> when you get into the presence of a holy, perfect, matchless God that has allowed you to bask in his glory, you won't even be worrying about why things didn't work right. this way or that way. You're going to be so enamored. And that's why the Bible says it's going to wipe away every tear <laughs> because you're going to be in his presence and the fullness of joy will be there forevermore. Right. Yeah. You're not going to care. No, I've no. said that though. I'm always like, especially in marriage, I'm like, I'm a, when I get to heaven, I'm asking God why He made me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Made it so different. <laughs> right, right, right. But we, you know, in some ways, it's funny we ask these questions. But if we do talk and we live in relationship, we can get way more of the answers than we think. You know, I think things are not as. I mean, there are a lot of mysteries for sure. But I think oh, yeah. we complicate things, you know, with our own ego and our own pride and and wanting things yeah. to be a certain way. Um, mm-hmm. Why do you think uh, so? Right now in this culture, you know, whether it's cancel culture or whether it's, uh, you know, kind of the movement we have of, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to say, Ryan, because it's like these two things going on. One is all the things we've talked about, which is the American church and the church being the church and being broken people. And so we're not being consistent and we're not doing what we should be doing. You know, none of us on individual levels, but that means also then we're a bunch of broken people in the church. And so not to judge the church, but that's just the reality of being the church. And I'm not saying it could or couldn't be better, but that's what we're facing. Mm -hmm. And then we have the world who is slowly saying, you don't have value. Like you said, we we don't want anything to do with institutionalism. You've, you've, you know, supported racism and sexism and all these things. And it's like, for me, it breaks my heart because it's like, yeah, but the Bible doesn't support those things. Exactly. Exactly. So how would you kind of pull that apart? And, and do you struggle? Like, do you see that same struggle? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think um, I think what you said sums it up like for real. I think for us, uh, especially in our context, that's what we deal with a lot. I mean, it's, it's so much just like, you know, especially when it comes down to, uh, you know, I mentioned like, especially in the urban context for us, it's like, oh, the Christian is white man's religion kind of thing. So yeah, can you, can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Just like, uh, I want to spend yeah. some time, you know, talking about kind of as an, as an African-American pastor, yeah. man, especially in the season of Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter and uh, mm-hmm. social justice and, and yeah. all these things. I want to hear your stance because I, I mean I've heard some of it. I listened to your sermons and 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 know sure. you pretty well from from what I've seen. Yeah. But but for those out there listening, I think people put people in these camps and they're like, well, he's black, so he mm. has to believe this, or he's a Christian, mm-hmm. so he has to believe that. And I think that's exactly. got to be super unique for you to be mm-hmm. a conservative and not in a negative way, yeah, but, you know, in a in a good way, conservative Christian, but also mm-hmm. African American. So can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I think it is. I think, uh, you know, I was talking about this the other day. I was like, you know, it, it really uh, forces you to not have a home anywhere, which is good because in the end, my home is in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I want to be as faithful as I can to the Lord Jesus Christ. And even early on, I told our church, I said, look, the scripture has a rob- have has a big enough, robust view of justice and equality and all these things that you don't have to run after anything else. You can just stay right there and really say, what does God have to say about the condition of humanity, how we treat people, how we should engage in this world? And so um, one of the hard things I think has been, um, you know, in relation to uh, even like the idea of, oh, Christianity is white man's religion. It's it's this notion that has been uh, propagated uh, mostly on YouTube, Instagram, uh, social media, that um, because of the atrocities of slavery and different things that that's how african-americans have 
gotten the gospel. That's how African-Americans became Christians. They uh, became Christians because it was forced on them. And so what you find now is that uh, this kind of really big push against anything that has to do with Christianity. And there's there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of it has to do with the iconography, iconography you know, the art and stuff like that, you know, and stuff. So people seeing like, oh, it's only white pictures of Jesus. It's only white stained glass of Jesus, yeah, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And that's a problem, right? I mean, I know that you're not yeah. saying that's not a problem. I mean, right, the, right, right. The fact yeah. you walk in a, in a church and there's a blonde haired, blue eyed Jesus is a very oh, sure. problematic situation. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 sure. It's not. I will say this: it's not a good apologetic for you know really reaching people who are who are different. You know, so that's 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 a big yeah, that is. And so, um, one of the things that um, and here's the thing: when I talk about this, it should be an issue for anybody who lives in an urban context, no matter what your ethnicity is, because mm-hmm. if something is a stumbling block for someone from to coming to Christ, we have to be the people to say, okay, look. Jude 3, I need to give it a, a reason for why I believe what I believe, and then know how to engage that. So then you're disarming people. And so yes. that's a big thing that, you, you know, I think all of us, you know. So one, I think it's getting back to what does the Bible say about man? Man being made in the image and likeness of God. I'm big, so big on the Imago Dei, that mm-hmm. people are made in the image and likeness of God. The, the, the lie that the church has taken on, sadly, um, for years now, I mean, like centuries, is the is the idea of, of race. Race is a racist idea. And what I mean by that is this, is that it is it's anti-Christ because it is anti-biblical, because the Bible clearly teaches man is made in the image and likeness of God. There's different ethnicities. There's not different races, because guess what? If a person who is human uh, race, you know, right? Yeah, it's a human, it's human beings, right? I tell my kids all the time, if two humans have a baby, what are they going to have? They're going to have a baby. That <laughs> baby's going to be human. And the melanin, we all have it. It's just some of us have more, some of us have less. And it, that's all doing with your chromosomes and all that kind of stuff. And so getting back to a really robust biblical view of humanity, I, I, we need to have a biblical anthropology. But then also we need to have a robust uh, understanding of biblical history and mm-hmm. understanding like the gospel went from Judea to Samaria into the uttermost parts. And one of the first uttermost parts was Africa. Right. And uh, I think I, I, that, let me say that disarms people so much when you talk about, yeah, you know, Cush is in the Bible. They're like, Cush, well, what is that? Well, Ethiopia. Right. Oh man. You know, it's like, Oh man. You know, when you start talking to him about, you know, Alexandria, you know, it's like, well, Alexandria, where's that? So it's in Egypt. I mean, like some of the, the most, uh, you know, robust theological thinkers, you know, came from all, all over Africa and all those kind of things. And so, you know, we've, we've sought to really just face it head on and also trying to help our people to not take on, um, you know, ideologies that don't actually help. I would say this, and I've made this statement before, um, and, you know, hey, it's a true biblical statement, so I stand by it. <laughs> there is no phrase that could really fully express what God has done other than this. God has made man in his image and likeness. That's period. There's no phrase, there's no other phraseology, there's nothing else that could really express that. Why? Because when we say people are made in the Imago day, they they have value, dignity, and worth, not because of any political ideology or any other catchphrase. It's because the creator of the universe says it. Mm-hmm. 
So now me as a Christian, as African-American, I have to stand and say, well, man, you know, look, I'm saying this because I know and I represent the God of the universe. And so that's why we love people. That's why we go after people. That's why we see people who are value and have dignity and worth because of those things. That's so good. And also what I hear you saying is you focus on what you're for and not what you're against. So it's sure. not getting in a debate about whether Black Lives Matter or not. It's it's living a life in which people who know you, whether black or white or Asian or Hispanic, already know who you're for because that's how you treat them. You know, oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? I mean, when my African-American yeah. friends, they're not coming to me, and this is not a pat on my back, this is all Christ, but they're not coming to me being like, hey, man, here's the 15 things that you do on a weekly basis that make me feel like you don't understand black people. Exactly. Because, you know, exactly. that's not on me. I'm just trying to live in a way consistently before this, right, before the crisis. And there's a lot mm-hmm. to learn. That doesn't mean that I don't need to unpack some uh, some things and I don't need to respect and I don't need to listen. Sure. I mean, we do. We have to open that door and we have to listen and have humility um, to our black brothers and sisters, to our Hispanic, but like you're saying, mm-hmm. to everybody. And that, mm-hmm. again, the response of all lives matter, it, it's an, it's a, it doesn't work because you shouldn't be responding with anything to combat and argue. Yeah. Does that make it, sense? It, yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah. It, essentially, for the Christian, we have to stay robustly biblical mm-hmm. because it, it causes us now to, to come in with a, a, a message that is is different than any of the other ones that are saying yep. because everything else is it always has this got this agenda this got you know what my agenda is is Christ mm-hmm. and and that's that because here's the thing because when I come in with the message of Christ I don't actually fit in your camp and I don't fit in your camp either because in the end I'm calling men and women to faith and repentance in Jesus which transform my favorite verse of scripture is 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. Verse 16 says this, uh, before, before, I became, before Christ, right, I viewed God one way, and then I viewed man this way. And then 17 tells you that the reason you're transformed is because you've been made a new creation. And that's a lot of times missing the conversation, especially with Christians. It's like, nah. For me, I remember being heavily involved in Nation Islam and my ideology. And, you know, I remember despising anybody who was white. I remember that. I remember, like, you know, having a hatred. And that's mm-hmm. a true statement because you're taught that, you know, white people are the devil and all this kind of stuff and, all, you know, whatever. When I was born again, when I came to faith in Christ and Jesus grabbed a hold of my heart, I had to take my ideology and what I believed and submit it under the authority of Christ. And now it's like, okay, are you going to believe like I tell you to believe and, and how I've transformed your heart to believe, or are you going to hold on to this? Well, if I'm a follower of Christ, I have to die to myself and say, okay, how does God view people? And how does God see humankind? And then live out that way to the glory of God. And yes, you're right. Of course, do we, can we learn things? Sure. Can we engage in some tough conversations about things we don't see? Yes. But in the end, it comes back to, what does the scriptures tell us? What does scripture tells us, and how do we live out that, um, you know, with other people? Yeah, and I think underneath that, that's because we know we're not doing it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, if we really believe as Christians that the like, like I was talking about this this week, you know, the uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Right. You, you can talk to your daughter. Tell her to come on in. No, she's she's like she's asking for something, but it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> hey, have you ever seen that? Uh, have you seen the the guys on like the BBC News uh-huh. or whatever? That's that's what it always reminds me of. 
Oh yeah, dude, I've been doing telehealth at home, and there's been so wow. many times where my kids knocking on the door. Oh, uh huh. That's all, all the time, all the time. Absolutely. So it's like, oh my goodness. Um, so what I was gonna say was, is that the the reality is, is that the Holy Spirit, if we okay, so we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, right? What I've been kind of wrestling with is this idea that what that means is not that we can do all things, but all the things that we can do are because Christ. Yeah. And the reason that I know that is because Jesus says himself, so we have to kind of, that's for us as people who aren't Jesus. And then we look to Jesus and go, okay, well, you're our model, so how'd you do that? And he he says, I can do nothing apart from the Father. Mm-hmm. And so if we really believe that we have no ability to change hearts and minds, then whatever our message is has to be that. And so yep. if we're standing on a platform of any kind mm-hmm. that is us in our humanistic ways, educating and teaching and forcing change, that person can't learn or listen because you're just a human being. Yeah. But if, yep. but if you're living out your life, whether you, I mean, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't say Black Lives Matter. I'm saying if you are saying it and you're saying it from a guy's, from a, a backing of the Holy Spirit and the gospel and biblical truth, then the Holy Spirit will work through that however he's going to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I think the biggest thing that came about, uh, especially with, you know, the Black Lives Matter, like movement and stuff like that, I think, I get it. I get exactly what they're they're saying. You know, I think it, it was a, it was an outcry of where you had a, a group of people feeling that, um, you know, specific African-American lives, you know, Black lives were, were not valued. You know, mm-hmm. they weren't valued. They weren't being valued in, in certain different ways and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, which, but then which we, you would say is true. Yeah, I would say there, there's there's definitely, you know, different ways we see within the culture, within the society and even, I mean, over over history. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's no, I mean, there's no like denying, you know, a lot of those realities and yeah. Christians are those who face the facts. I mean, who face the reality. Absolutely. Right? But then we find out, OK, all right. So then what does the scripture have to say to that? Yeah. Right now. Think if, about we're, this. if we're Christian, right? Yep. If we're Christian. Yeah. If we're Christian. Truth is truth. The same truth. That's the truth now was true. 1700 years ago and it's going to be true 3000 years from now you know what's true during slavery men and women were made in the image and likeness of god you know what people didn't do they rejected that truth Mm -hmm. and when you reject the truth then what do you have you have a fallout of sinfulness and for people who are full of pride and sinfulness and deceit and all these kind of things. And so I, I understand exactly where it's coming from. And, you know, I understand that it's a lot of stuff with that, uh, the movement itself that, um, you know, is definitely not biblical and not Christian at all. I get where they're coming from, you know, but again, going back to the truth of it is that, man, look, it's, it's deeper because we're saying as Christians, people are made in the image and likeness of God. So the philosophy I get the question. I get the the phraseology, but the deeper meaning is that people are made in the image and likeness of God. That is what gives people value, dignity, and worth. Now, the question would be, do you accept me and my ideology, and does it push against what you're holding? Mm -hmm. Because guess what? The framework that I'm saying is going to last until Christ returns. Absolutely. Yeah, and if you have a framework that doesn't do that, then it's not really, again, it goes back to behavior modification. Yep. Then you have a bunch of, if you're not changing hearts and minds and we don't, and yep. we believe you don't have the ability to, right. then you're, then people will adjust their behaviors, but they don't really ch- change their beliefs. 
So they might be, exactly. they might stop being racist yep. to you because because uh -huh. of social like judgment yeah. and criticism. Mm -hmm. but you know, deep in their hearts, they're not changing. And I think that's where it goes back to being Christians and going discipleship. If you're a Christian, you're, you're black, white, Asian, whatever, like we're doing right now. And like we do on, on a friend level, like we have to have people of different ethnicities that we know that we get to know that we take risks with, that we disciple with. Yeah. And only then really can we have these rich conversations about racism and systemic issues and, and mm -hmm. privilege and, um, and patriarchy and all these kind of things. Yeah. Like exactly. we were talking about earlier, when we try to have a conversation with somebody about gender or sexuality of any sort in a public forum or with people we don't know or yelling each other across the street, I mean, who's changing? Yeah, really nobody. Right. Yeah. And I, and I, and from a trauma informed, you know, and I've said this on the podcast before, it's actually like science, like a person who's emotional and really upset is all in their right mm -hmm. brain and they can't learn. And mm -hmm. so you have to actually validate them before they can learn. Yeah. So if somebody's saying to me, black lives matter, and I'm coming from a loving Christ centered perspective, I'm going to say, Oh man, tell me about that. Exactly. Tell me why black yep. lives matter to you. Let me hear yep. your story. Let me hear what's yep. going on for you. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do matter. You know, who you matter mm -hmm. the most to God. Yep, exactly. You know, to me, so you don't have to, to reject me, it. No, no. You, to me, you see it as an apologetic Absolutely. for the gospel. Yeah. Because in the end, exactly that. That. So I've I've been telling my people like it's it's died down a lot now. But when it was really wrapped up, I said, man, look, this is a great time to have a great biblical, robust apologetic to ask the question. Man, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. Like, so why? And then you tell them the why. Mm -hmm. Well, the why is because God has created people in His image and likeness. And, and not only that, he loves people so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for them and to die for you. So you see what I'm saying? And I, I tell like, I our people you, all the time is this, is that, look, we don't have a pie in the sky faith. Our faith is robust and practical because what you believe in your theology affects your orthopraxy, affects how you live out your faith. And so how do I show these kind of things? Well, look, if I'm if I'm saying your life has value, dignity and worth, then guess what? I'm going to live in that manner as well. Absolutely. So that means, you know, I'm engaging with people that are different than me. That means like when I see things that are are wrong and and, you know, things that are impartial, I'm speaking to those things and saying, look, this is wrong. Uh, and let's let's deal with that. And no, will we solve every problem? No. But it does mean I'm open and I'm, I'm honest and I'm engaging with that. So yeah, you hit the nail on the head. That's the way I see it as well. Yeah. I think that's the movement and, and what I want people to think about, like as we're wrapping up, um, cause we covered a lot of really good stuff and I really appreciate you taking the time to do it, man. And, and, oh, yeah. you know, of course we get like, like all these podcasts that I do, we could take each one of these subjects and do a whole podcast on it. Yeah. Um, but one thing I want to give people as we leave is some hope because I have, I've definitely as the church see a lot of stuff on social media about how, you know, we're going to hell in a handbasket and America's going yeah. down and all these kind of things. And, and, mm -hmm. and there's part of me that's, a, you know, that fear seeps in and I go, what, you know, especially as a dad, I'm like, well, what am I leaving my children? What are they yeah. walking into with technology mm -hmm. and pornography and sex yeah. issues and gender issues? And, and then we have the equality act coming and what all that means. And, you know, again, we could do a whole podcast on all that, but yeah, what I was reminded this last couple of weeks is again, God saying to me, like, who do you have faith in? Mm. Like, who do you, mm -hmm. who do you believe in? Who do you trust in? Um, yeah. do you think I have this or not? And also, you know, if you're in Africa, right. Or you're in Syria and you're seeing all the things going on in America, you're not sitting there going, Oh, it must be the end times. Mm 
exactly you know what yeah. i mean like that's, oh no you're right that's our like super privileged on yep. all levels oh, you no. know american view of mm-hmm. of the gospel and i'm not saying it's not the end times sure but the sure. fact that we see these things changing and all of a sudden we're like oh, well 2023 mm-hmm. it's over <laughs> you know, yeah. that's not the rest of the world's view no and so you know what can you speak to on that and how do we give people hope when they feel like they're in crisis right now yeah yeah so we've been walking through second peter and uh it's all about being established you know we've been talking about being established in the faith and second peter uh actually deals with uh that great coming day it deals with like living in the last days and, and all that kind of stuff and um you know i love what he uh closes uh with he says in second peter 3 verse 17 says you therefore beloved talking to the christians knowing this beforehand all the stuff that don't come he's talked about false prophets he's talked about the uh you know the struggle it is to kind of live out this life of christianity how hard it is he says you therefore beloved knowing this beforehand be on guard so that you're not carried away by the area era of unscrupulous people and lose your own firm commitment but he gives them this he says but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Mm -hmm. If you're asking, what could you be doing during this time? The same thing the scripture told the first and second century Christians to do. To remain firm, steadfast, immovable in the work of the Lord. Grow in grace that means when you're growing in grace, that means you're growing in steadily the, the finished work of Christ. You're steadily going back to the gospel. You're steadily allowing the grace of God to just wash over your life. And it says growing grace and knowledge. So that means you're growing in the, the spiritual understanding, but also in your mind and heart understanding who Jesus is. So that you can actually live out a life for his glory. And he's promised to be with us until he returns. And so... If I could give any encouragement to folks who are listening is that, look, Christ has made a promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And just as he was with those in the first and second century, just as he's with those in China and Uzbekistan and, and everywhere else, he's with us here in America as well. And so I would say this, God is bigger than anything that's going on around us, but he's called us to remain firm, unmovable, and trust in him until he returns. Man, it's good stuff. Yeah, I think, and I'm having to say that same message to myself, man, just constantly like, okay, yeah, you know, that um, the church has always done really good. Christ has always shown really well under persecution, under stress. And again, yeah. I'm not saying this is the same persecution as China. I'm not measuring that because sure. I know it's it's not. But, you know, whatever level it is and whatever God's stirring up in America, I think like you said about um, Black Lives Matter or whatever, we have an opportunity in any of these issues to show grace to stand firm and to be in relationship with people. And that opens the door for the Holy spirit to do the work. We don't have to feel anxious about knowing what to say and knowing all the answers we do need to, like you said, get knowledgeable. We do need to do the work. And I think that's so much of Christians is there's so many people who have been Christians for 20 years, but they're baby Christians. And so I hope that this podcast gives people some insight and some answers into, Mm -hmm. Oh man, what they talked about. I didn't know. And I have some more questions. And look, you can actually talk and learn and read and, and flesh that stuff out and, and understand mm-hmm. it more. So I really just appreciate you, man, so much. I appreciate what you're doing in New Orleans. Um, let me know when you come up to Shreveport, and I'd love to awesome. catch up and have some lunch and, and see you, man. 
Cool. Awesome. Well, there's pleasure uh, being on and uh, prayerfully it was a help to uh, folks out there. Absolutely, man. We'll have fun with your family uh, today. And uh, if you need something, holler at me. Okay. I will. All right. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, man. Everybody that's listening, awesome. um, you know, subscribe to our podcast, check it out. Go look in some other episodes. If you're in new Orleans, um, check out Ron Rice. Tell me your name of your church. Yeah, you can check us out at uh, Connect Church of Algiers, or you can uh, follow my uh, podcast, my podcast, my blog. I write a lot at uh, RyanRiceSenior.com. Yeah, you write some good stuff, man. I was going to plug that next. You know, if you're out there and you're wanting some good theology and, and some good consistency in a culture right now where people are like, I don't really know where I stand. You know, we're all looking for answers. We are looking for truth, and um, it's out there. So thank you, man. Appreciate you. Awesome. Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely, brother.